0: In this series, we interview game changers from around the globe about digital ethics, online activism and social media. We get to know them, their stories and how they have harnessed one of the greatest phenomenons of our time. A little warning, most of our episodes are for adult ears only with frequent droppage of the F-bomb. I'm Roisin Bevan. And I'm Daisy Grant. And this is Harness.
1: This generation is so much more literate about diversity, they're so much better at critiquing the world around them and looking for ways to create change.
0: This episode of Harness is with the beautiful and brave Lucy Thomas. Lucy has dedicated her whole life to kindness. Her TED talk, which is awesome, is called "Kindness: The Ultimate Rebellion Against Bullying. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Project Rocket, Australia's youth-driven movement against bullying, hate and prejudice. She took a values-driven leap of faith to start the movement with her sister Rosie straight out of high school. For more than a decade since, Project Rocket has been empowering school students to stand up to bullying, with particular focus on cyberbullying. Project Rocket is a thriving enterprise, serving as a safety partner to major social media platforms. In a cruel irony, after building her career tackling it, Lucy's life was fundamentally changed when she became the target of an extended pattern of homophobic bullying. In a separate incident, she also made global headlines in 2016 when she stood up to a homophobic Uber driver. She managed to record some of his vitriol on her phone and it went viral. These experiences have only propelled Lucy forward. She has worked personally with hundreds of thousands of young people all over the world to lead the effort to make social media part of the solution to a safer Kinder community. In 2015, Lucy was named among 12 digital champions for children's rights in the digital age around the world by UNICEF and was announced as a finalist for LGBTI Person of the Year in the Globe Australia Awards. This year, she was presented with an Order of Australia Medal for Service to Youth and Against Bullying. She also sits on Facebook's Global Safety Advisory Board and Twitter's Global Trust and Safety Council. All of these achievements are huge, but yet Lucy is incredibly humble, genuinely lovely and so down to earth. We loved our chat with her and we hope you do too. Please see the show notes for more on Project Rocket. Here she is. Another indicator that we've been in the UK for way too long is that we keep saying Project Rocket, but it is definitely Project Rocket. So we're trying to make sure oh, we say it right. like the true blue Aussies that we are.
1: Oh, Project Rocket, hey! Eh? Yes, yeah.
0: Thank you so much for talking to us. It's so lovely to chat. How are you? <laughs> I'm great.
1: It's um, So over here in Australia today is the National Day of Action,
0: against bullying and
1: violence. So it's been a pretty um, massive day for us. Uh, But often it's a day as well where politicians come out and make announcements that are pretty revolutionary, like we need to do something about bullying and often young Mm -hmm. people are overlooked. But, um, yeah, we've just been really, like, hustling to try and make sure that their voices are out there and platformed and represented. So, yeah, I'm, I'm well. I'm feeling a good buzz. What is Project Rocket? Okay, so... Project Rocket is, and this is the official one, is Australia's youth-driven movement against bullying, hate and prejudice. But uh, I guess the the more unofficial, the more relaxed way of describing it is that it's an initiative that was started by my little kid sister and I when we were fresh out of school because we just really hated the way that young people were spoken to about bullying and the way the issue was addressed when we were growing up. So. Pretty much we never intended to start a movement. We intended to just start a small project tackling bullying in schools that put young people at the centre of the conversations and instead of lecturing them and making them feel bad and kind of guilting them or uh, patronising them, would acknowledge their agency to make change in the world around them and would look at the complex issues that I guess feed into a behaviour that is otherwise really simplified in the media 12, 13 years on, we've now reached hundreds of thousands of young people all over Australia and grown into Australia's youth-driven movement against bullying. But, yeah, humble beginnings. It was never the intention. It was a bit of a fluke, to be honest.
2: That's incredible. What are the the actual steps and uh, kind of activities that you do to ensure that these kids are taking part and you're not just lecturing them when you visit the schools?
1: I think what we anticipate as teens is that someone's going to come in and tell us about the world and kind of you know, overlook the fact that we we know about our own worlds and we um, are incredibly conscious of as critical thinkers and global citizens. And um, yeah, so the first thing that was really important to us is that we'd acknowledge that young people aren't babies or puppies and we'd, um, I guess, charge them with, yeah, assuming that they do have really incredible insights and opinions in the world. Um, the second thing was rather than lecturing, we thought that And and predetermining what we wanted people to learn, we thought that it would be much more effective to allow the group to come up with the learning themselves. So working with a cohort of, say, um, 215-year-olds, we all know that one of the benchmarks of being 15, because we've all been there, is feeling like no one can teach you anything because you already know it better. So we kind of gave up on the idea of knowing it better and instead trusted those 15-year-olds to come up with the learning themselves. And we realised that learning was so much more effective and impactful and memorable if it was realised through an exercise or an activity or a real-life experience. So rather than it being all talk, we inserted bizarre social experiments and uh, drama exercises and shared real-life stories and looked at ways that you could be participating in some really random physical weird exercise or just like challenge um, Mm -hmm. with your whole year level and – the joke is on you because you're actually learning something about bullying. Um, yeah, so we often have, often have these moments as Project Rocket presenters where you're standing at the front of the room with your co-presenter and you kind of turn to the other person. Everyone's actually having fun and they didn't expect you and you turn to your co-presenter and kind of just say like,
0: haha, they're learning. Um, <laughs> what kind of bullying did you see as a teenager and what did you see being done about it?
1: So the Project Rocket was founded by myself and my little sister, as I said, one of the things that I, I guess is cool to bring to um, an organisation starting out is one, you know, coming from a place of shared values and some shared lived experience. Um, so for both of us growing up, we were, we you know, were raised by a um, ferocious and powerful single mum who um, always called us out if we didn't. Lift. And I guess, you know, for, even from our days as primary school students, we remember coming home from school and explaining to mum about someone treating someone else badly. And her response was never commiseration. It was always, well, what did you do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I think that really extended, you know, with me into secondary school. And at the same time, I didn't see any solutions. I didn't see anyone learning how to challenge bullying, hate, and prejudice. And I did imagine, you know, how powerful that could be if as well as finishing school with the skills to, I don't know, study, write an essay, uh, perform in a workplace. Imagine if we did, we left school with the skills to challenge hate and prejudice societally. I got thinking as a teen about how cool that would be, but we just weren't learning that in school. Um, so for me growing up, people often ask Ro and I uh, whether it was a singular experience of being bullied ourselves that led us to start Project Rocket. And I wouldn't say that's the case, but it was one of You know, copying knocks and blows here and there, but more prevalently, standing by and seeing stuff I really disagreed with. And not your typical, not your stereotypical bullying behaviors of like, I don't know, the the stuff you see in high school movies of,
2: you know, the strong guy
1: picking on the weak guy. It's more like, covert racism or spreading Mm -hmm. rumours or misogyny and slut-shaming. It's
2: like a hub of society in school, you know. It's all the kind of beginnings and the bubblings of what can expand in the wider world, you know, and I guess that's where you need to tackle it first, right? Yeah, we really
1: just reduce this to a high school problem, but it's just such a human problem and it's Mm. so
2: complex.
0: Daisy, did you get called names at school? Um...
2: I think I might have done, but I was just too cocky to like take it on. I was like, yeah, of course I was. Come on now. Wow. (laughs) I got,
0: I definitely got, well, I got fat. And then when I got less fat, I got slut. Fat slut or feminist fat slut. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've since had it tattooed on my back. So there you go. Did you generally (laughs) like school? Did you like your, your experience of school?
1: Um... Yeah, I've I've tried to think about this. I, I mean I did like school. I was the kind of person. I was a scholarship kid, so I was someone who was very grateful to be at the school I was at, and and I was reminded, yeah, all the time that I of the opportunities reminded by my mum that I had a lot of opportunities that otherwise we couldn't afford. So to make the most of them, so I definitely was very appreciative, and I don't think it ever, um, yeah, it, I ever took it for granted. But at the same time, I felt like a total weirdo at school, and actually, I was chatting with a group of. Year 11 and 12s today about that idea because they're kind of coming out the other side of it now. So 17 and 18-year-olds for an international audience. And, yeah, just that idea that through early high school you're just so conscious that you're a total weirdo, no one's like you, no one gets you, and you may as well just bury yourself under a rock because you're never – no one's ever going to love you. You know, all that that kind of thinking
0: that you you exercise. Absolutely, yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, and then when you finish school, you make friends with all the other weirdos, and realize everyone's a weirdo, and Um, the weirdos are more interesting. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess just that there's so much more that unites us than divides us. But we have as teens just that self-critical, self-conscious rhetoric about what you're not. Um, Mm. And I definitely would have been one of those characters—a bit of a bit of a uh, outcast, but definitely very focused. At the same time, on the opportunities that I had from literally just attending the school that I went to.
2: How do you guys remain hip and trendy and cool and relatable without saying any of those words to the kids at the school? (laughs) I love that you
1: asked that and managed to drop every Nana reference.
0: I literally am a Nana. Clearly, the formula that you're using is working and the kids are really, really responding to it. So is it just because you guys are cool or do you have a magic little potion? No, we are
1: massive dorks.
0: Maybe that's what and makes you cool. I never cool and mm.
1: never, never have ever claimed to be, but also now I'm really old. Like, growing yeah. Project Rocket, I, you know, <laughs> I wish that the growth had happened when I was just out of school, but it took a really long time. Fortunately, though, now we have a young team of presenters who are super diverse and they are genuinely super cool. So our role has really shifted away from working with students directly and now instead empowering young people to work with young people. So that's mm. a big relief because... I definitely am a massive dork um, and never was anything else. But if, if anything, I mean, I still have the opportunity to work with high school students and it can be a really daunting crowd. I think they're bullshit detectors super high. Oh, yeah. um, and on top of that, you know, they're super literate. Critical thinking is incredible for this generation. But at the same time, there's a lot of defensiveness, I guess, that comes with being yourself in high school. Um, and that can cause a lot of judgment. But if I've learned anything, it's trying to play into coolness actually is the way to wreck yourself. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the,
1: the sooner I can make a self-deprecating joke or show people who I really am. Uh, and, and as I've grown older, that's that's been a real asset as well. I think... You know, people can generally see through and connect with the person underneath, and most of us actually crave that. I think most of us, especially going, you know, growing up and navigating high school, most of us are just craving a connection with someone. So, actually, forgetting about that whole idea of trying to impress or trying to connect or trying to be hip um, is is a super big relief.
0: In the what it's been a decade or so since you started Project Rocket, right? Uh, yeah, It's. I think this is the 13th year. Wow. So in that time, I mean, social media was around, but it was at its beginnings. And you have genuinely been on that kind of front line witnessing social media embed itself so much into youth culture. Can you give us a picture of how big a part social media plays in a young person's day to day life?
1: Uh, so I guess for us, it's been a horrible fluke that we started Project Rocket around, you know, two years into Facebook's history. So they were two years old when we launched Project Rocket to give a bit of a timeline. And back then, we'd never really, you know, spoken much societally about cyberbullying and many of the online issues that we see today. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, the growth of those issues as our lives spill further and further online have grown our organisation. Um, but I can also reflect that the positivity of the online world, the capacity to spread information and to spread word of a good thing has also fueled the growth of a movement so that this, what started out as a project, has actually grown into something that's much more driven now by other people rather than by two sisters. Um, so that's the first thing I want to name is that, that, you know, journey of social media. But also I, I think if we want to think about the way that the role that social media plays in a young person's life, we can start by thinking about the role that it plays in our own. Um, and technology in general, you know, we, we tend to start the day with it. We use we use it to navigate our way to work. Um, throughout the day, it plays such a pivotal tool in our work. But also beyond that, beyond the, like, mechanics of getting through our day, it's a, such a social connector and such a brilliant one at that. Um, and it makes the world so much smaller. It provides support for people who otherwise wouldn't have it or support, you know, for us that's just better than what we had without it. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we can see the way as adults that, you know, now we're seeing voices platformed and lifted up that previously didn't have representation on in mainstream popular media. So, you know, we're seeing the rising up of, you know, trans young people and people of colour um, mm-hmm. and people of diverse faiths that, you know, we weren't getting insights before into their lives. And so for this generation, I think that combining all of that, it's, yeah, really akin to their experience of the online world that, you know, except that they're like literally growing up in it. So Mm. the downside is pretty easy to predict that, you know, the adolescent brain isn't fully developed or fully solidified and we haven't worked out our, um, I guess, our planning and decision-making when we're aged 14, 15, 16. And it's terrifying to think about having a device in your hands that can make those mistakes permanent. And I'm just so grateful I didn't grow up with a phone in my hand. Mm. But at the same time, um, all of the possibilities that this affords, that this generation is so much more literate about diversity. They're so much uh, better at critiquing the world around them and looking for ways to create change. They're really great at organising and and by that I don't mean like um, organising their homework. I mean organising people, getting people together Mm -hmm. and for for social action or change. So, yeah, I think that it's very much, it's it's impossible to think about this generation without thinking about technology Mm. but unfortunately so often the ways that people connect this generation with technology is through all of the negative through you know photo leaks and image based abuse and cyberbullying and online harassment and trolling and keyboard warriors and all of this awful, awful stuff which is really just like the blip like the pimple on the face of the digital generation
0: you know, without being fear-mongering, just to dwell on m- some of the darker sides of social media for a second, from what I observe, they tend to have massive followings. They, they like, particularly on Instagram, the average teenager could have, like, 700 followers and then they're getting, like, 100, 200, 300 likes on a picture. Like, that community of young people is extremely active having access to so many people or having other people having so much free access to that young person how can we protect young people Mm. navigating online
1: so that's an interesting question um and i want to come back to that how can we protect young people navigating the online world because i think it's like a million dollar question um Mm. but in terms of some of the dangers i'm first of all i'm grateful that you let me talk about some of the positive things first because usually people are just like it's a horrible world let's talk about all the awful. Um, well,
0: it's not a horrible right. world because I woke up and the first thing I did was check my Instagram today. <laughs> and if I was to be that hypocritical as to say, it's, it's the worst ho- thing that uh, yeah. happened to the world. How can I expect a young person to have the self-control that I don't have when it comes to technology <laughs> and be oh. critical of that? So we're yeah, not yeah. we're not here to bash social media, but I think it's important, obviously, to talk about uh, yeah. the, the pitfalls.
1: And so to speak to that, I mean, I would say it's a a minority that do encounter serious, you know, online abuse of one kind or another. Most people do have an adverse experience, whether it's making a public mistake, like saying something problematic and then having an entire community jump on that, Mm. right through to having a private communication that's shared publicly. And I actually think the lasting um, scars of that can be incredibly damaging the the issue is that, is and that you do
0: you see that in in the work that you do,
1: yeah, a lot uh, in in, a, in Australia. I think we have this um, cultural identity of being like whatever about everything, and yes. so blase, yeah, um, yeah. But that often it's really easy to overlook how vulnerable it is to actually share intimacy at all, let alone online. Um, and I think I think vulnerability is a strength, but yeah, when you when you're working within that those kind of that cultural paradigm of blasé, blokey, whatever, Um, so often something that would be shared out in an intimate or vulnerable moment is taken out of context. And, yeah, sadly as well on top of that, the laws that govern young people's lives and um, their online images uh, are really different to to those that you know that govern adults experiences online so what could be and what may feel like for a young person an empowered sharing of you know their sexuality could be received as something that c- can basically be ammunition um, and i think the issue here is that we you know in particular with photo photo leaks instead of having conversations about consent which is really the issue underlying the technology people tend to have conversations or you see news pieces about Snapchat instead of the actual underlying issues. Mm So or rather that the person in the photo is blamed rather than the person who leaked it, Um, which is generations old, that problem of victim blaming. I mean, we saw our parents probably went through that, you know, where a woman going out at night was blamed for being attacked um, rather than the perpetrator. Um, So we're seeing like the next iteration of that and it's just really unfortunate that often the people who experienced Slut shaming and victim blaming in the 70s and 80s, and now perpetuating it for the digital generation because they just aren't, can't quite up to speed with the fact that there is no distinction between the online and offline world. To, mm. So, to share your sexuality online is to share it offline, and vice versa. So, that's a huge issue. Um, that mostly what we see is they're kind of everyday nasty stuff. So, things like peers setting up fake accounts designed to You know, create a really convincing false identity. Um, Peers, I guess, yeah, leaking content or filming or photographing you without your permission in vulnerable situations. So public shaming, um, I guess I'd call that. But ultimately, I want to name that these aren't problems with technology. They're problems with, yeah, misogyny or homophobia. Um, There's been lots of cases of, yeah, homophobic content being filmed surreptitiously and then shared with catastrophic, you know, consequences. So. Yeah, the the kind of underlying social issues aren't being addressed, which is what we'd say is more the problem.
2: It's just another platform for that kind of hatred to present itself, right?
1: Yeah, and it's a problem with a massive audience uh, where the consequences could feel permanent, like they're never going to go away. Mm. It's a platform that has access to us and we have access to it 24-7. So in many ways it's boundaryless, it's borderless. And so for so many people it can be all-consuming. But I do want to come back to that question about how can we protect young people because unfortunately when people hear about all these problems they are terrifying and they can be really dire and they can be soul destroying but the problem is when we try and protect young people from all of the negative stuff we actually end up most often cutting them off from the resources to resolve their own problems so you know a common a common solution given by parents to young people if you're being bullied online is to turn off your phone not realizing best of intentions behind that strategy but not realizing that that will actually cut you off from a very support network as well that could carry you through a bullying situation. So, yeah. That's a great point, would, yeah. would also want to flag that, yeah, protection is really challenging as well.
0: So for parents, do you give any advice around social media, around boundaries, parameters? So,
1: so much. Um, the advice that we try and share with parents comes from parents and young people. I'm flat out going to say I'm not a parent and I'm, I'm glad I'm not because um, I think it would fundamentally change the way that I approach this work I really uh, recognize gosh the challenge of being a parent in a generate with parenting a generation that has access to tools and technology that we never even dreamed of growing up
0: yeah I find I find that thought to be both really exciting but also it terrifies me
1: yeah and there's so much focus on how this generation is the first ever they're at the frontier of being digital natives but so are their parents they're the first generation parenting those folks, so mm, exactly. yeah, gotta hand it to the hand it to the parents and guardians and carers out there. But yeah, for us, the most of the tips that we give, I think parents and families expect technological solutions. You know, we often get asked, "Is there a particular surveillance tool that we can use to monitor?" Um, uh, what our young people are doing online, like a net nanny or is there one button that you can click to fix the problem or is there, should we go to the police? What do we say? What's the thing we do? Um, and it, very much, you know, people often are looking for external solutions, which I really understand because that places the emphasis as being, you know, the problems out there. But, you know, honestly, the advice that we'd give is really simple, it, you know, strategies like starting the conversation ahead of time before there's a problem, You know, you might not understand the technology or the gaming console or platform that your young person's using, but you can understand why they're using it. So rather than assuming that they're gaming because they're bored or because they have no life, maybe they're gaming because they find social connections through that particular system or maybe they're really passionate about mastery of a skill and that buzz they get from getting to the next level. So we can understand that. You know, maybe it is that they're on Tumblr, they're connecting with a particular community that they don't have access to in their small regional town. So that's actually really positive. And if something then goes down on that platform that's super negative, it's going to actually really contaminate so many of their experiences so we can be there to provide support if we knew the positives as to why they're involved in the first place. You've sort of
0: blown my tiny mind a little mm-hmm. bit, Lucy, because I, I I was expecting you, to be honest, to say something like, yeah, well, we recommend, you know, three hours a day. At yeah, this that's temperature limited limit Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and- okay, so here's
1: another one. A huge piece of advice is to set limits before you give the young person the device or before mm-hmm. they sign up this isn't a new issue about uh, negotiating limits with parents. Like when we were growing up, it was about setting like the appropriate amount of time to watch TV per day. Or I I wanted a drum kit and I had to save up for it myself. And when I eventually got it, mum had never had a conversation about appropriate hours of the day to practice. Um, It would have been much healthier for her had we had that conversation before I had the drum kit in my bedroom. Mm. So, like these are regular issues of being a teenager and negotiating those limits ahead of time. It's actually like something parents have been doing for
0: generations. So, that's another one that's great. Another so we can calm down a little bit, (laughs) like just relax. Yeah, we've got this. We've been doing this for years. Just the thing changes per generation.
1: Yeah, I think so. The the next one that comes to mind is around um, helping your kid to find allies. So I think, like, as a, as a family member, when you hear someone's going through a really hard time, you want to pull out, like, your fierce mama bear, jump in there with a flamethrower and destroy anything that is making your family member's life hard. Like, we tend to react viscerally. But actually, like, it can be so much more powerful if, you know, your child is going through online hate To find peers for them who can stand up for them, it's much more powerful than, like, your mum jumping in and saving the situation for you. Yeah, I actually think we're at a time in this world where allyship is needed more than ever. It seems like the conversations we're having online and offline seem to be really polarised. When you think about what allyship is, it's having someone who has solidarity with you, even if – and I I emphasise this – even if they're not your friend, even if they don't know you, it's Mm. because of the principle – and I really believe that this is one of the exciting things to, to you know, emerge from all of these conversations that are happening online, especially, as yeah, as I said, because they're so polarised. So you tend to be on the good team or the bad team mm. or argue for your friends or argue for your family. And yeah, it just seems to be really ferocious and yeah, coming from two opposite opposing teams. But I'm excited by the idea of people standing up for each other because they simply believe in you know, what someone else is saying or they believe in what's right for them. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and I think its it can provide a lot of relief for parents, the idea that there are people out there online who do not want to see your kid being given a hard time other than you, people who, who you've never met. Simply because they're going into bat for what they think is right. I
0: guess through having done this work for so many years now, I, I imagine you see the long-lasting effect of bullying and and why it's so important to embed those messages. Project Rocket conveys so beautifully when they are young.
1: Yeah, yeah. the the ex, The continuing effects of bullying are extremely well researched and they are extremely pervasive for people who are bullied, of course, you know, um, as well as for people who bully others, the long-term consequences aren't great, Mm. um, you know, in terms of people's relationship, employment and, yeah, just longitudinal outcomes. But also, you know, we're really interested in the people that often aren't represented in that research, the people who stand by watching and the way that we might be cultivating cultures of apathy by not calling on the people who are an audience in these situations to, to actually chip in and challenge stuff instead of standing by watching. So it almost goes back to that age-old statement of there being, you know, two types of evil in the world, people Mm. who do bad stuff and people who stand by watching. But rather than seeing it as evil, we see there as being an opportunity um, for each of us to work out where we stand in the world and, you know, to really flex that muscle. And so, you know, while there is, yeah, a really, a really hideous trajectory for anyone involved in a in bullying situation for the worst, there is the potential to develop citizenship or work out what your values are or rehearse standing up to, you know, problems that are much bigger societally than they are in school um, through this lens of bullying. But, yeah, no doubt about it, I've met, like, oh, I'll go to get my hair cut and I tell the hairdresser what I do and they'll tell me that they dropped out of school because they were bullied and Mm. um, I'm not saying the hairdresser's are high school dropouts, just mine. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, men that I'll meet who are white old dudes in suits who, you know, will think that I'm there to serve them a coffee at a business meeting until I tell them what I do and I see then, you know, the power shift in the room because Mm. they'll be, you know, outlaying this story of how, how they're, you know, the scars of their time in boarding school or, you know, you can just really see the way that this this issue stays with people and it it is heartbreaking.
2: We need to uh, cultivate a culture where we address these issues and, you know, don't just stand
0: by. And I I love that that can all be rooted back in high school. Of course, you know, bullying doesn't just stop when you leave school on that point. And very quickly, I want to play a little bit of a clip of of the audio um, that you recorded uh, of an Australian Uber driver um, harassing you. Now, a language warning on this next story, and police are investigating an Uber driver who was recorded threatening a same-sex couple during a trip in Melbourne. He's been stood down by the ride-sharing service after allegedly subjecting Lucy Thomas and Chelsea Lang to a torrent of racist and homophobic abuse. What, are you going to give me a one rating and make a complaint? And when I write my report about two faggots who don't like being called faggots, then what are they going to say? I'm hurting you. Get out of the car. Why? Because I just asked you to, and if you don't, I will get out and drag you out. What struck me about that recording was, and I know it's going back a few years now, but but just how um, skilled you were and calm, even though it was a, a very fearful situation. Can you just tell UK listeners or people who haven't heard it before what what happened and the big response to it?
1: Right. So, in a nutshell, it was just your average lazy dinner out with friends um, and jumping an Uber home. And, yeah, throughout the call, throughout the ride, I guess the driver pegged that me and my partner at the time were both pretty femme-presenting and I don't think he'd put two and two together that we were in a relationship. And so he started launching into this tirade um, using lots of homophobic but also actually racist and ableist slurs about people who play Australian rules football, which I don't follow and, yeah... I don't even know why he was talking about it, but he, he did manage to load this conversation with just every disgusting word under the sun. So I, uh, you know, given that this is my work and that I'm constantly having conversations with young people every day about challenging prejudice instead of standing by watching, I decided to, you know, gently try and facilitate a conversation with this guy, which probably all of us have been in a, in a place at one time or another where we've had to discern whether it's safe to make that kind of conversation happen. Um, and in this case, yeah, I did. And um, unfortunately, his response was really negative. It was to his question was like, why are you challenging me? Are you to insert homophobic slur? Um, mm. And in in unison, my partner and I at the time um, went along together but gave the exact opposite responses. She said, yes, we are, inference being same-sex attracted. And I said, it's none of your business. Um, <laughs> and he immediately then turned on her. Um, and at this point, yeah, we we just arrived outside my house. We were locked in the car. He had my address because it was an Uber. Um, and so visibly I pulled out my phone and held it up so that he could see and started recording the conversation. So you'd already,
0: you'd already gone through all that before the recording even starts.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is something I learned from working with young people is that I was like, what would you do if you're a 15 year old? You'd bloody record it. Yeah, Um, of
2: course. Name and shame. maybe. yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah, I guess. You know, we didn't anticipate that much would happen, but um, naively, I mean, got upstairs and had a cry and contacted Uber, um, and they were really great, but in in terms of the person, the specific person who dealt with our issue, but company-wise at the time, they just didn't have the protocol or the structures to deal with, I guess, yeah, wild, rogue Uber drivers. Do you know now
2: if they do have that in place? Yeah.
1: So it was unfortunately the public So we tweeted it the next day and it went viral, mm. um, which I definitely didn't anticipate. I yeah, came out of a meeting and there were news stations in Spain contacting me for comment. And I was like, I'm not even anyone. Um, but as a result of that, the guy got yeah fired. Um, it, for us, it was about trying to take action in any way that you, we could. And Yeah, actually, if anything, the most overwhelming part of it was the surge of support online. I had Uber drivers contacting me saying – you're welcome
0: in my car any day oh. oh that warms my heart so sorry that happened to you but i'm really pleased to hear that there was so much support and i guess uh that's what we have to cling on to and i and the the message of project rocket is that as a collective we can uh stand up and rise up against it and it has been so lovely to talk to you and my last question is if you had a magical crystal ball and uh you saw the future in 10 years what's what's the hope and dream of project rocket
1: well i say this to my team all the time um when we started project rocket our dream was just to impact a couple of young people by working with them directly in schools and now project rockets you know reached hundreds of thousands and that's all well and good i guess the focus for myself and my sister is you know on our team um this year was the first year that we've ever hired someone who had a Project Rocket workshop at her school when she was in year eight. Oh, and yes. she, she just stayed in touch by social media and she's now a Project Rocket presenter, um, which is beautiful. And so I guess our dream is to be growing people beyond, you know, that, that spark of the first moment when they realised they could create change, to actually find a place for them in this movement, in this team, in leadership. And as I, yeah, as I say to my team all the time, like, kick me out of my job. It's time that, you know, it's time that you someone else had a go at this. I never had a vision or a goal to be a CEO. I just wanted to create meaningful work. And, you know, I've been thrust into this position where I feel like I have so much opportunity and I only want to share it. So, yeah, the goal would definitely be for to see someone um, the next iteration, you know, creating a much more ambitious Project Rocket because when we started out as two young women in business, Project Rocket was revolutionary and very difficult because we were young, we were women and we're queer. But now I want to see, I don't think anything about that's radical anymore. And I want to see, you know, this youth-driven movement against bullying represented by the people who need it the most. And that's the goal.
0: Woo, great. That's beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lucy.
2: It's been amazing to talk to you. We really, really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks for just doing great work and having great conversations You too.
0: Oh, we're a bit sad. Yeah, we are a little bit sad. We've come to the end of
2: season one of Project Harness. Right to the end. Do you call it season or series? I've been oh. um, I've been told off for calling it season. Why? I've also gotten um, I've had two complaints about. Um, I had one person from Suffolk very upset that you called Barry St Edmunds a little town outside of London. Oh, did get a complaint about that, and I got. <laughs> <laughs> so I get other complaint. I can't remember any other complaints, but that one was a oh, particular for us one. being that- feminazis as well. Oh yeah, 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 feminazis. Yeah. Oh, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to share that one with you.
0: Amazing. I was told to feature it in the series. Amazing. And I haven't. Wow, what a great time! It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Although,
2: the season is coming to a close. It's not the end for Harness. Absolutely not. It's not the
0: end. Keep following us on social media at Project Harness where you can keep up to date with everything that we're doing. Um, I'm sure we'll be bothersome once more. We love to
2: do that. Also please continue sharing episodes with your friends if there's one particular episode that you think they'll like share it with them because we've been getting loads of feedback of people saying like oh my friend passed it on to me and it's just so nice that people have been supporting us through word of mouth and we really appreciate you doing that it's so nice to be able to reach so many different people
0: and if you hate the series pass it to an enemy oh yeah 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 do that
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of Harness. It would really help us if you could like, review, share, subscribe, follow, all that magical stuff, you know what to do. One more thing. We are proud friends of Rafiki Mwema and the Carly Ryan Foundation. Both charities work tirelessly to help protect young people from harm and suffering. Support us by following the work of these amazing charities and, of course, each of the incredible guests we've had on the show. We'll include links in the show notes. Thanks for listening.